0: You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. Our first point tonight is the order of the cross in verses 1 through 4. We read this. I want you to read it with me again. It says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Acacia Grove and came to the Jordan. He and all the children of Israel and lodged there before they crossed over So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp and they commanded the people saying, when you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God and the priests, the Levites, bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Verse 4, yet there shall be a space between you and it, about 2,000 cubits by measure. Do not come near it that you may know the way by which you must go, for you have not passed this way before. So listen, let's pause right there. We're going to jump into this story tonight. Right after the three-day pause that was ordered by Joshua back in chapter 1, verse 11. He told them they were going to wait for three days and then they were going to cross that Jordan. We talked about the significance of that pause. Because in that three-day pause, they would have heard the roaring of the Jordan River. Look in verse 15 of chapter 3. It says that the the Jordan River was overflowing its banks during the season the whole time of the harvest. And so this river, uh, which is normally about uh, 10 to 15 feet deep in its deepest places and, and about 30 feet wide or, or 30 yards wide, is now uh, up to, some, some, in some places it can get up to about a mile wide. And, and it can be much significantly deeper. And so, or, or not deeper, but it just wider and harder to get across. And the and in places where the channel is narrow, the water is rushing, it's roaring, it's carrying tree trunks. It would have been a very difficult thing to cross and to sit there for three days and to look at that and realize, wow, <laughs> this is going to be hard. This is not going to happen, you know, is just, you know, a simple thing. But that was what God wanted them to do. He wanted them to, to, to become uh, desperate for help desperate for god and realizing that they didn't they didn't have what it takes but we jump back into the story here the israelites have now moved closer to the jordan river They've, they've got a more convenient campsite now they're probably within walking distance of the water and and now they're probably looking at it and hearing it in a different way and just going this is impossible there's no way but then Joshua comes on the scene and he gives them some instructions. He tells them, listen, here's how we're going to do this. The priests, they're going to go before you with the Ark of the Covenant. When you see them making their way down, you're to give them about 1,000 yards of a head start. okay? Ten football fields between you and them. And then you're going to follow them. Now, what was the significance of that? Well, I believe that God wanted his people to be in a vantage point where they were able to see Everything that was about to happen. God wanted them to be able to look at this and to be, uh, instead of being active participants in crossing the river, he he wanted them to be passive uh, 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 spectators of the miracle that he's going to do. It was the ark which represented the presence of God Almighty, carried by the priests With the high priest and they were to go first and lead the way. Now that's symbolic. That's a sign. Because so it is for you and me too, believers in Jesus Christ. The order of the cross is that God's own precious son, Jesus, leads the way. He leads the way. You know, if you've ever wondered if God wants to guide you in your life. Hey, know this. Jesus Christ is a good shepherd who goes before the sheep. He, he's not behind us driving us into the river. He's not there uh, you know, with the whip slapping, you know, slapping our backs and going, get in there. But rather Jesus says, no, no, no let, me, let me show you the way. Let me go before you. And that is the way of the cross. It's the order that God wants. It's his son. You know, Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 says this. Let me read it to you. It says, he, Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. You see, Jesus Christ exists as the head of the church. He's the preeminent one. He goes before us and he prepares the way. And I love that. Uh, Speaking of preparing, we come to point number two tonight. Preparing for the cross. In verse five, this is the preparation that's given to the children. Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. You know, this is a necessary part for anyone who wants to see God do a work in their lives. If you're here tonight and you desire to see God do a wonderful work in your life. Perhaps a sign, perhaps there's a miracle that you're desiring. Listen, you need to heed the words of Scripture. Heed the words of Joshua. He says to sanctify yourselves. So if we are going to see God do wonders among us, we need to separate ourselves also. That's what the word sanctify means. It means to separate yourself from the impure the impurities, and and to humble yourself and surrender to God. That's what sanctification is. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. As we surrender to Him, as we separate ourselves from the worldly influences, from the sinful influences of of life around us, and we surrender to His work, that is what God wants us to do. Because He alone can make us ready for the wonders that God is going to perform to the one who's willing to come to Him. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 17 and 18 says this, I'll read it to you, it says, "Therefore come out from among them, uh, unbelievers, come out from among unbelievers, and separate yourselves from them," says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things. And I will welcome you and I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So as believers in Christ, listen, whenever we want to see the wonders of God, when we want to see God work, we need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare ourselves through humility to trust in God and not in ourselves. We must learn to sanctify ourselves by putting our fleshly passions and desires on the altar, we need to lay down our lives and, and we need to confess our sins and we need to draw near to God. That's what sanctifying themselves meant for Joshua. And, and then we draw near to him. And you know, Charles Finney, have you ever, I don't know if you ever heard of this man, Charles Finney, he was a great evangelist that lived in the 1800s. Uh, they believe that it was his preaching in part that contributed to the second great awakening in America. A, a very great revival movement. But he talks about his experience of coming to Christ. And he talked to, about it being an experience that really humbled him. And it changed him forever because he was searching for salvation. He, he, it's interesting, he was actually the member of a church. Uh, in fact, he was the leader of the choir at the church. And yet, he was not saved. Didn't, didn't, had never uh, had a, a, this experience of salvation. Didn't have any assurance of a salvation. Or, and, and so he knew, he was just being tormented in his spirit, that he needed to take care of that issue of eternal life. That his soul, the eternal state of his soul was in the balance. And he had this conviction that he needed to take care of that. It, it grew so bad that one day, instead of heading into his office to work where he practiced law... He decided that he needed to deal with his soul's eternal state. It was the most important thing. So he didn't even go into his office that day. Instead, he went to a place in the woods where he uh, wanted to be alone, where he thought that he could pray. And as he went out into that clearing in the woods, and he tried to pray, and he was trying, and he was you know, really frustrated because he couldn't pray. And he felt finally that maybe he needed to kneel, and, and but he didn't want anybody to see him. So he's kind of looking around and checking the road and the path and everything. And finally, he gets down on his knees. And he's trying to pray, but he still can't pray. It's like there was a blockage. Finally, he says that the Holy Spirit reveals to him that, hey, it's your pride that's in the way. It's your pride that's in the way. Because he kept checking to see if anybody was coming. He didn't want anybody to see him or to hear him pray. And so finally, he he realized, look, I I need to cry out to the Lord. And it says that in in his testimony, he kneeled down there in the the forest and he began to cry out to God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart. The verse from Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 12 and 13, it says this, In those days when you pray, I will listen. And if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. And, And what's interesting is that Charles Finney says, I had never read that in the Bible before. I, kn- I never heard that scripture in his life. And yet the Holy Spirit just spoke that into his mind in that moment. Later on that night, he says he went back to his office and he finished out the rest of his work day. Uh, but, and he said he had so much peace because he knew that the eternal state of his soul was taken care of. But there that night, later on, he was baptized by the Holy Spirit. In the privacy of his office. And he describes it as the Holy Spirit was washing over him with the love of God, like wave after wave after wave. And he was just weeping, he was overwhelmed. And, and he says that, you know, he, he would try to go to sleep, but the Holy Spirit would wake him up and just continue to just wash over him. And, and just the love of God filling his life. He woke up in the morning, he said the sun was shining through his window, and he just went straight to his knees and began to praise the Lord, and, and, and just continued to sense the Holy Spirit washing over him like waves. An amazing experience that changed his life forever, but you know what? It didn't happen until he humbled himself, until he sanctified himself in a sense and said, you know what, I'm going to surrender here to God's will. I'm not going to try to do it my way. I'm not going to try to uh, uh, put God in a box and make him do things my way. Or, or, and it was his pride that was holding him back. Remember that. You know, we often let our pride keep us from humbling ourselves and coming to Christ by faith. We're too worried about what everybody else is thinking of us. When if we only could realize that, you know what? Nobody's thinking about you except you. Because everybody's too busy thinking about themselves. <laughs> I'm thinking about me. You're thinking about you. But you know what? We need, to, we, we need to surrender that. It's pride. We need to learn to sanctify our hearts and separate ourselves from sin. We need to separate ourselves from pride. And we wanna, if we want to see God work in our day, don't you want to see God work in your days? I know I do. You know, I've been a Calvary Chapel pastor for a while, and I go to Calvary Chapel Pastors conferences, and, you know, it used to be, back in the day, Pastor Chuck would always lead those, uh, you know, some of the sessions, and he'd be there, and he'd introduce speakers and things like that, and I used to wonder what it was like to be a part of that pouring, outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened in his day. You know, they used to baptize seven to eight hundred people a week at the ocean, There's stories of people that were going to the beach to surf on Sunday, and they would get out of their cars and they would see a line of people going down into the parking lot and down into the ocean to a group of pastors that were baptizing people, and they would just get out of their car and they would know that they needed to go stand in that line. And while they're standing in that line, Christians that have just come to know Jesus themselves, begin to witness to them about who Jesus Christ is, and they would get saved while they're in line, and then they would go down to the water and get baptized, all in one moment. It's amazing. And, and I, I've listened to the stories, I've read those books, and I've seen those things, and you know what? All it's done for me is go, wow, that, that, that must have been amazing, because I didn't experience any of that. I've never seen the Lord do a work like that, but I would love to see him do a work like that in my day. And and that's, you know, but but what is it that holds me back? Well, often what holds me back is my own selfishness, my own pride. Sometimes I'm not willing to sanctify myself, and, and I'm guilty of that. But Lord, please forgive us for not heeding your words more often, right? In our own lifetimes. When we realize that God has a plan for us, that God wants to guide us, just like he's guiding the children of Israel right here, he says, you guys stand back. Let the, let the Ark of the Covenant go first. He's going to guide you. And, and when you realize that God wants to guide you, your life personally tonight, and you think about how, what an amazing planner he is, all the things that he has going on, and he's got a plan for you, a personal plan for you and for me, and it's, it, it would blow our minds if we knew what it was. And yet, we're, we're like stuck in our selfishness going, no, no, give me one more turn on the game, you know. I want to do what I want to do. And we think we've got a better plan sometimes than the Lord. But he says, no, the order is that, that, that Jesus goes first. Jesus is first. Sanctify yourselves. And, and that's what we need. So we need to ask the Lord to forgive us. And to prepare our hearts for the wonderful work that he wants to do. Because we believe that God can do great and awesome things. He can. He can. Number three tonight, the significance of the cross. In verses 6 through 17, we're going to see the actual crossing over the Jordan River. And this, keep in mind that as we read through this, this is forever a sign to Israel in their history. Okay, this is something they are, look back on throughout all of her history. Even to this day, the miracle that God did for them in this moment, it carries a special meaning with it. So let's unpack it piece by piece, because in it we're also going to see the significance of the cross over the life of the Christian. So first in Joshua 3, verses 6 through 8, read with me. It says, Then Joshua spoke to the priests, saying, Take up the ark of the covenant and cross over before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. And the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You shall command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you have come to the edge of the water of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. Let's pause here for a moment. Notice how God says to Joshua that this day I will begin to exalt you there in verse 7. He says, this day I will begin to exalt you. He's talking to Joshua. So just as God exalted Moses, and now he's going to exalt Joshua in, in, in front of the people. But listen, as he exalted Joshua on this special day, the day of the crossing over the Jordan River, listen, so too God exalted Jesus Christ, our heavenly Joshua, on the day that he went to his cross. Because Jesus, our heavenly Joshua, humbled himself in obedience to the point of death on the cross. The scriptures tell us that God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow. Those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It's Philippians 2, 8-11. So let Jesus Christ, our heavenly Joshua, be exalted forever in our lives because of what he accomplished for us. Just like the children of Israel, they would look back on that day, they would be able to remember it. And, and we'll see in chapter 4, they're going to build a memorial. But, but you and I, we have the memorial of the cross. That is the day when Jesus Christ conquered death and sin and became, for you and me, exalted above every name. There is no other name by which man can be saved. Jesus Christ is our all in all. And we need to recognize that tonight. Have you recognized that? Have you recognized what Jesus Christ accomplished for you on the cross? But not only is this moment significant because of its preeminence in the history of Israel, but but also because of its victory. Check it out. Joshua 3 verse 9 it says, so Joshua said to the children of Israel, come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, by this you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Hivites and the Perizzites and the Girgashites and the Amorites and the Jebusites. Interesting that it says Perizzites, right? I mean, you ever thought we live in Paris and... I'm a parasite, you know, because I'm, I'm a transplant here. That's what I've been told by the Parisians, right? You, you nice Parisians. I'm a parasite, but I don't have parasites, but I am a parasite according to some of them. But at least I don't think I have any parasites. But anyways, get, getting back to what's important here, but this, this amazing miracle that God is going to do is going to serve as a sign of victory. Did you notice that? It's a sign of the victory that God is going to give in the future over the seven tribes that Israel was displacing. Notice there in verse 10 that it is God himself who was going to drive out these nations before them. We've talked about this several times in the book of Numbers in Deuteronomy, how this is a justified holy war. Okay, it's the only holy war in history that, 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 that this is, you know, one of those things where God himself is leading it against the seven tribes of Canaan. That's why it's a justified war. Because God, who is perfect in all that he does, had, justifies, had just reasons, and he's actually himself leading this. And way back in the book of Genesis, God had told Abraham that his descendants would return to this land. And and this is what he told Abraham. He said, "But that's not going to happen until four generations go by, because because why? Because the sins of the Amorites have not yet or did not yet warrant their destruction. So right off the bat, there we see that. Listen, uh, sin is a very serious thing. Sin sin has consequences. Sin brings about destruction eventually. But God is also patient and merciful." He gave them 400 years to get things turned around, 400 years of uh, witness from the children of Israel themselves, from the things that they saw and heard, from prophets that God was able to use like Baal, or I'm sorry, Balaam, and, 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 and all of these things, and yet they still did not, had not turned. And so now, this is the reason that God has now mandated their destruction, Their sins were now so bad that they warranted complete destruction. So what was it that they were doing that was so corrupt that it requires them to be condemned to destruction by God? Well, first of all, they were practicing abominable sexual immorality. Okay, abominable sexual immorality. Their destruction by Israel was God's way of actually showing mercy, believe it or not. To them, how was it merciful? Because it was hastening the natural process which they had already begun through their abominable practices of sexual immorality. Okay, and this has been documented by history, uh, by archaeology. They have found, uh, you know, all kinds of, the, uh, uncovered the ritual worship of the people that were living in the land of Canaan, and it's, it's, it's abominable. Secondly, they were also guilty of practicing abominable idolatry. They practiced a lot of dark, magical, and mystical types of worship in their pagan spiritualism. They opened themselves up to demons because they were actually seeking them out in their worship rituals. Now, if a nation kills enough of its own babies and allows the family boundaries to be broken down, by, dis- by, by, by uh, distorting and destroying marriage, which is the base unit of a family. And, and they actively pursue homosexuality, that lifestyle, and, and the, immor- the immoral lifestyles of promiscuity and adultery outside of marriage. Listen, all of that eventually, that nation will, dis- will naturally destroy itself. It will naturally destroy itself. Check the history books to see if I'm wrong in saying that. But if you read Romans chapter 1 in your Bible, you will basically see a description of what is now happening in our nation. It describes this downward spiral of a society that has denied the truth about God and morality and they're pridefully embracing sin. But listen, the great hope for our society is not MAGA, okay? It's not make America great again. It's not President Trump. It isn't a more conservative government. It's not socialism. Okay, None of that. Because a nation's government is usually a reflection of the mores of its people. The mores of a society determined by the people of that society. What is acceptable? What is not? But listen, it is the good news of Jesus Christ that can change everything. It's the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. And as it changes you and me, listen, it can change the world in which we live. That's why we need evangelism. That's why we need the church. That's why we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Drawing others to Christ through our testimony, through our witness to the world. Now, just as the crossing over the Jordan was a sign that God was giving them victory... So, too, the cross of Jesus Christ is a great sign of the victory over death and sin that we have. Now, in this life, the counterpart book to Joshua is the book of Ephesians. And and Ephesians tells us that in this life, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. But we're actually fighting against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age. And against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So this changes things, doesn't it? When we're looking at this, these words that it's God that's going to drive out these seven nations from before them, what's really happening is God's coming in a cleaning house. That these demon entities, these demon powers that are really puppet, they're, they're, they're really just pulling the strings. Hey, they're gonna get conquered. God is coming in and they have to leave. And I love that. I love that, because the solution to driving off demon, demonic forces is bringing in the power of Jesus Christ. And, and when, when you and I will submit to the Lord and submit to Jesus Christ, the demons have to flee. The, this, the spiritual forces of darkness cannot prevail. You know, that's why um, when, when somebody is manifesting the presence of a demon, that they're possessed by, by a demon one of the, 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 the most powerful things that we can do is to bring that person to a profession of faith. If we, if we can, in, in a moment of sanity, talk to that person and say, hey, you need to confess Jesus Christ as Lord right now. And if, they, if we can bring that person to do that, hey, the, the demons flee every time, every time. You can, you can read about uh, pastors that have, ca- have cast out demons and, and been able to bring a person to confession of faith. Now, I've never done that as a pastor. I've tried and I've definitely been in the presence of someone that's man- manifesting demonic possession. Um, but, you know, it, it's through confession of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior that those demons have to flee. And it's an amazing thing. And, and that's what's happening here. Is God's going to drive these demons out for Israel in this book of Joshua. And listen, if he's doing that for these guys, he can do it for us too, if we're going to allow him to. So we can rest in him by faith, and we can step out to claim The victory over sin in our lives and over strongholds, and because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the sign of ultimate victory for you and for me. We're going to skip down to our last uh, point, or second to last point tonight. In Joshua 3, verse 11 through 16. We read, Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth. I love that title. <laughs> it's not just the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. it's the Lord. He's the Lord of all the earth. And He's crossing over before you into the Jordan. Now, therefore, take for yourselves twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one man from every tribe. And it shall come to pass, as soon as the souls of the feet of the priests who bear the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, that the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off, the waters that come down from upstream, they shall stand as a heap. So it was when the people set out from their camp to cross over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as those who bore the Ark came to the Jordan, and the feet of the, the priests who bore the Ark dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks during the whole time of the harvest, that the waters which came down from upstream stood still and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zeraton, so the waters that went down into the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea failed and were cut off, and the people crossed over opposite Jericho. So picture with me for a second if you can. You've got uh, the children of Israel, over a million of them, they're gathered on the banks of the river. And they're watching this procession of the priests carrying the ark on their shoulders, and they're heading down you know, the embankment of the Jordan River, you know, getting down there in front, and then they see them... You know, coming down and they're looking at this and they're going, this is, this is like a mile long. There's, there's water. There's trees. How are we going to, and this is the plan, you know, they're going to just walk out into the, into the river. You wonder what the priests were thinking, you know, you know, okay, we got the ark of the covenant. You know, here we go. And, you know, they're getting down and, and as their feet begin to touch the water, that murky water that was the flood banks Their water pushed up all over the banks. And they begin to get out into the water and they begin to go, wow, it's starting to recede. It's starting to go down. The deeper I go in, the lower the water gets. And, and what an amazing moment that must have been to realize. <clears throat> and and the, the town Adam there, it's talking about, is about 20 miles uh, north or, or north of the children of Israel at this moment as they're crossing And so the the water is just, they don't see what's happening. It's too far away. But they just see the Jordan River just kind of going down, dissipating. And then they get out there. And and it says here that they were on dry ground later on. They're on dry ground in the middle of the stream or in the middle of the river. That's a miracle, guys. That's God overriding the, the laws of nature. Making the water to stand up in a heap 20 miles away and allowing it just to run out so that his people can now cross over the river. It's an amazing, awesome moment. You know, too many Christians don't realize how amazing and awesome the cross is. The cross of Jesus Christ, our memorial, our symbol and sign of victory. Too many Christians are not glorying in the cross today. And and, and this like the Bible glories about the crossing of the Jordan River. You know, this story, it, it, it's an amazing story. And the way that they, it is told in the Bible, it's, it's as if it's standing back and pointing all the attention and lights on this moment and saying, God is awesome. And that is what the cross is all about. You see, we often find ourselves being distracted We're glorying in our own riches. We're glorying in our uh, bodies. We're glorying in our own plans for life. We're glorying in, you know, things that that don't really matter for eternity. But listen, we need to learn to boast about the glory of the cross of Jesus Christ. We need to learn to talk about it. We need to learn to meditate on it. We need to learn to, to, to rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ for us on the cross. We come now to the last point for tonight, the last verse of the chapter. Joshua chapter 3, verse 17 says that, Then the priests who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, they stood firm on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel crossed over on dry ground until all the people had crossed completely over the Jordan. Can you imagine being one of the priests standing there? while over a million people with all their kids, donkeys, and possessions, you know, were crossing through this riverbed. I mean, they had to have been empowered with with divine power to do this. But but in this, we see a picture. Again, this chapter is a picture. And, And the picture here that we have, that's painted for us, is of a faithful high priest, Jesus Christ, standing as the Savior until the last sinner has been saved. And entered into his rest that's provided in Jesus Christ. You know, think about it for me with a moment there. As these priests, they're holding the Ark of the Covenant. They're standing on dry ground. And all of the children of Israel are passing by. Listen, there went Joshua. There went Caleb. Giants of the faith, man. Guys that were strong in the Lord. But you know who else was crossing that river? Achan. Achan was crossing that river. We're going, to, we're going to talk about him in chapter 5. Achan was the guy who was already hatching in his heart plans to covet and steal and take the gold from the city of Jericho and hide it in his tent. And yet God withholds that water and empowers those priests to stay standing on dry ground so that even the Achan's, the sinners, and, and the ones that most need to get across, get across To the safety of the promised Lamb. It's a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ, of his graciousness, of his faithfulness, of his patience, of his patience and his strength as the high priest who will be our Savior, who will intercede for us, who will be the one that stands in the gap until every last sinner is brought home. Every last sinner that that God has chosen from the foundations of the world. And, and, and brought into his family. God is not going to fail to bring home his people. And I love that. So as we close tonight, in applying to our lives from this chapter, what we can apply. Number one, we need to realize that because Jesus Christ has passed over, first, in his death and resurrection, that he's the first fruits of the resurrection. That means he's the most important man to ever rise from the dead because he's the son of God. And because of that, he will bring us into the victory and the blessings of eternal life when we die. So listen, guys, we don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear those moments when we come to the valley of the shadow of death. Do you notice that it's just a shadow of death? Death is just a shadow Jesus Christ is going to walk us through that valley and we're going to come into the reality of eternal life because he went first. He accomplished the way. He is the way. Secondly, tonight, we can apply this to our lives in the fact that we can live victoriously over sin now. Yes, we're going to stumble. We're going to stumble a little here. We're going to stumble a little there. Not one of us is going to be perfect. We're going to sin. We're going to stumble and fall. But listen, because of the cross, every believer may claim that we have died to sin with Christ and we now live to God just as Christ is alive forever. That's what Romans chapter 6 tells us. If you've if you got your Bible tonight, open it up to Romans chapter 6 with me. The Jordan, or crossing over the Jordan, marked a moment, a a, a huge, a monumental occasion in the lives of the Israelites. Well, guess what? The cross marks a monumental moment in your life too. In my life too. Listen, what, what Paul the apostle says in Romans chapter six, beginning in verse four, he says, "Therefore we were buried with him, with Jesus Christ." that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 8, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We'll stop there. Hey, if we died with Jesus Christ, we know we're dead to sin. Sin no longer has a hold over us. It can no longer control us. The only control the sin can have is that which you allow. That which I give to it. But listen, if I keep my eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of my faith, and I allow him to lead me. Hey, he's going to lead me to victory. He's going to lead you to victory. Those demons are going to flee. Those demons cannot have a place in my life if I surrender myself to the Lord and I allow him to guide me and to take me in. So listen, the last thing I want to mention tonight is what we can apply from this is listen, we we need to worship. We need to worship Jesus every day. We need a glory in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, because it's for you today. It's for you and me today. It's for Christians today. Again, Colossians 1.8, as I'll close with this scripture, it says this, He is the head of the body, the church, who's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. Praise God. Praise God for his work. The Jordan crossing, the cross of Jesus Christ, they're linked together in Scripture. They're monumental occasions for which you and I are supposed to look back upon and we're supposed to remember all that was accomplished. Let's pray.